happy Wednesday. My move, <laughs> I've taken like three weeks to move apartments. I'm moving one mile down the street, literally one mile. And it's one, it feels like the longest mile ever because it's a downtown Denver mile. And I just feel like I've just taken little baby steps and little baby steps and trying not to get overwhelmed. And now it's like the final day to move is Saturday. And I still have so much shit. I went through this whole phase. I know I blogged about it. If you're not signed up for my newsletter, you should you should get on it because I just, you know, it's just my blog. It's like the best way I sit down and write and just kind of word vomit my feelings and then give you some recipes and some current updates and ambassador tips. But I just was thinking about so much how I've accumulated so many things the last few years. I've just moved from place to place to place to place, always in a hurry and never really just looked at my things and was like, what, what am I doing with all this stuff? And so I got rid of so much and I still am getting rid of so much. And it's a little bit overwhelming (laughs) because I still haven't completed the process, but it is really therapeutic. Like we really don't need that much. I probably wear the same things all the time. Like send like 10, 10 things on repeat minus my shoes. I do love shoes, but besides that, like, why do we have to have so much stuff? It's insane. Like we, I was talking about this with somebody about storage units. They are everywhere right now. Like that I probably have five within a mile radius of me of just storage units. Like what are in those storage units? I, I think there's a show on, isn't there a show about this? Like storage wars where you like bid on storage units. Mine would have been a landmine if I would have taken all my stuff and put it in a storage unit. Holy cow. So many supplements, guys. It was insane. Anyway, long story short, I'm kind of just really feeling the the benefits of this cleanse and I think everyone should do it. So if you haven't done spring cleaning, just do it. Oh, I mean, we need to do it. What am I doing? Um, Kind of a bunch of crazy is about to happen. So I'm going to use this podcast as a way for you guys to kind of keep in touch on where the hell Emily is going to be um, because I have a couple more weeks of calm and then it's just psycho. So Saturday, this Saturday, April, God, I don't even know what month it is. April 15th, I'm hosting with Alex from Fitness on the Rocks, a huge workout at Wash Park. So if you're in Denver, come do it. 10 a.m. I posted on my Facebook, some details on my Facebook page, Emily Schramm, but it's going to be really fun because if you have an impact, bring it. If you don't, I'll have extra. It's just anytime I can work out with people, I'm so excited. I haven't been doing that. I have taken a break from training people one-on-one because I just didn't have time for it. And I really miss it. I really miss coaching. I really miss, I really miss cheering people on. It's like at the essence of who I am, it is, it's like the root of what I do. I don't even know if that makes sense. It's just really important to me. So I miss it. And I can't wait to see all my people on Saturday. And if you have an opportunity, if you're in Denver, please come. I would love to see you. Uh, And then what else am I doing? So then I'm here and then I go. So that's this weekend. And then I go to Salt Lake City FitCon. So if you're in the area near Salt Lake City in Utah, come to FitCon because apparently there's like everybody who's everybody in the fitness industry goes to it. And it's just kind of my first big sell impacts, be at a booth, talk about the impact. I'm just kind of excited. I'm nervous because I, you know, I love the impact, but like to have my first booth and it's like a real thing at a fit expo. 
Anyway, okay, so who is my guest? I'm talking to Dr. Rachel, who is in Denver. She was my lead instructor for NTA, Nutritional Therapy Association. So you guys saw, um, listen to episode two, maybe, with John Jennis about leg length and adrenals and cortisol. Dr. Rachel from Precision Empowered Health is all about the gut and really looking at bugs, pathogens, SIBO, just kind of specializes in everything when it comes to the gut. And then also we talk about the thyroid. So this is like kind of a big nerd session on protocols that she does, but also remember, keep in mind, we aren't doctors. We're just talking about supplement protocols and suggestions and recommendations and don't ever just hear something and think, Oh, I should try that. Like really do like, if you have some serious health issues, find a practitioner, reach out to Dr. Rachel. I know she has an online practice. I also do Skype consultations. Um, there is a person there that can help you and get you in the right direction. If you feel lost and tired and exhausted, and you just are not sure what to do, there's people there that can help. So, um, so stoked to have her on. She's one of my favorite people. And she just did a video with my 21 day superhero challenges. And it's, it was awesome because it's all about the thyroid and how so many of us have thyroid issues and how to figure out how to fix it without just, saying, take some thyroid medication, which is what most of us have been told to do. Enjoy it. You can find her again at precisionempoweredhealth.com. This is all at the end of the podcast. And again, Saturday, the impact, www.theimpact.com. Okay, cool. That's it. Have fun. And <laughs> fit radio. perfect timing because we're in the middle of my 21 day MFIT challenge and Dr. Rachel and I briefly touched a little bit about the thyroid, which I think we should talk about in so much depth today because how many times do you see that happen? Mm. But I was like, why don't I just steal you and do a podcast too? So I'm so glad. <laughs> I'm so glad this worked out. I have Dr. Rachel Yan. Um, Dr. Rachel, start a little bit. Just tell me a little bit about your background and what you do. I have always been interested in health. Um, I started volunteering in ERs and vet clinics when I was 13. You were in a vet clinic too? Uh-huh. I didn't know that. Did yeah. you think you wanted to be a vet? I wanted to do something. Yeah, something medicine. <laughs> something. I, I did the same. I started out um, my first vet. I remember I was like 15. I was volunteering at 15 and then I saw like a surgery and I almost passed out from the blood. And I was so embarrassed because I'm like, I don't fear, fear anything. And I had to like sit down. I was like a little, you know, high school intern that like couldn't handle it. I felt so, I was like, what is wrong with me? Anyway, that's, I didn't know that. That's a fun fact. Yeah. So I was in the ER and I did that for a whole summer. And I remember feeling very frustrated there. I had all my kind of shiny high school you know, visions of the ER medicine and how sexy it was and just kind of dashed. Yeah. <laughs> During that experience. And I realized how much paperwork was involved. I, I um, saw how much insurance was involved in mm. care. I heard doctors arguing with insurance companies on the phone, trying to get their patients care and getting denied. And it really kind of dashed my dreams for medicine for a while. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, like a tough place. I see that a lot with nurses where they just get very frustrated with the system. Yeah. So the, the 
you know, the, their inner passion, who they are and their character trait is like to just give and to help. And then they're, they start to see themselves get jaded by the system. Yeah. And it's so tough. Cause you, I can't even imagine that place where you're like, I want so badly to help these people, but I'm limited by what the system allows me to do. Mm-hmm. So I went on a big life mission to do health and do medicine my way. Yeah. Yeah. I was saying with, um, I was thinking with, uh, the be nerdy podcast that I'm doing. Uh, I also really think that the be more would be good for you too, because you have just over the, you know, even the course of the last, how long have we known each other? Two years. Probably over something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It might be coming up on three. So you were my lead instructor for my NTA program that I did. Mm -hmm. So it was John Jenis who I've podcasted and then you, and then you were in Denver. So we connected and you just, changed so much for me. So it was awesome. But I do feel like even in that time I've known you, you have gone on a lot of emotional and spiritual growth as well. So do you think switching over to functional medicine, was that a big piece of that? That was a huge piece of it Mm -hmm. because I, I I started doing chiropractic because I saw how powerful it really could be to help change someone's neurology and physiology. And I was so into sports and working out in college and high school. So I saw how powerful that was. And that surgery didn't have to be the end answer to everything to Mm -hmm. fix everything. Totally. So I was always looking for the root cause and the root um, preventative medicine for that. Yeah. And uh, what I became frustrated with was that so many of my patients um, wouldn't heal the right way at the right speed. And so it was either my fault, I wasn't doing a good job, or it was more their body's fault where it wasn't picking up the, uh, the, the slack and, and healing. I, and I probably feel like you just knowing your personality and how driven you are, yeah. you were, it's like, you probably took that on yourself. Like totally. I've seen that a lot with me. I'm like, mm-hmm. if I can't fix this or help this in some way, I'm the problem. Mm-hmm. So I can, uh, yeah, it just, it made me stir crazy. Yeah. Like, what is wrong? There's two people in a car accident. One person, you know, in a month or two, totally resolved. The other person lingers for three years. Yeah. What is a problem? Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, what's the holdup? Yeah. And what I started to realize was that a huge part of physical healing was actually biochemical in nature. And so your hormones, your stress hormones, your sex hormones, your body's um, inflammation, all these things that had nothing to do with me physically manipulating someone's body were so crucial to their healing. And when I realized how much things like adrenal stress could play a role into someone's healing rate, I realized, first of all, that if I wanted a thriving practice full of adrenally deficient patients, I would just keep coming back for the issues that were not resolving because it was actually not structural. I now have my business plan, um, but I didn't do that. Yeah, <laughs> totally. So that's just not how I want to do health. That's just not, that yeah. wasn't fun for me. Anymore. And that's one of the questions on the NutriQ that always stands out. Does your body maintain manipulative correction, mm-hmm. right? That's what it is. Mm-hmm. Is that what it is? And yeah. so many people are like, yeah, my, my chiropractor fixed my leg length. And like, let me check it right now. I just did this actually at a gym. He's like, yeah, my, my legs were different lengths, but they're fine now. We've been working on it. And I was like, lay down, let me see it. And it was an inch off. It was, I was like, no, that's not, you can't just get put back in place and then expect things to change. Uh-huh. So I, I think that's great. What, as far as transitioning for your own, you know, you're running a business. We're kind of jumping into everything, but you're running a business. You, I know that you were just kind of like saying yes to every opportunity because that's like, you were, you're crushing it. And so for you, when you started to feel your own health decline, like what was the stopping point for you? Cause that's what I remember that conversation. Both of us were like, we will, we will kill ourselves in order to help others. Like I will run myself through adrenal fatigue in order to make sure that other people can heal from theirs. 
it's just like who we are, but that doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work. And I think that's a, it's a epidemic of people overexerting themselves for everything and everyone but themselves. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when I see my patients these days, really underneath all of it, whether it's a thyroid issue or an adrenal issue or a gut issue, underneath everything, what we're really doing is a self-congruency project. That is why you're here to see me. You're here to stop shooting all over yourself. I should drink more water. I yeah. should eat better. I should. So stop shooting all over yourself because that causes so much internal stress when you don't match your should with what you do. Yes. It is um, not a way to live and it is so stressful. Mm. And so if you can just close the gap and stop doing violence on your whole body, on your system, on yourself, and just do what your body wants so much healing happened just from that decision right there for sure what well, like for people that you see a lot of shoulds is it for me and this is just my personal experience with clients um one there's so much information about what people should do that that in itself is stressing people out because they start something and then all of a sudden they're like nope uh maybe i'm doing the wrong thing i don't see results in seven days this isn't right and so they're they're constantly being pulled in all these directions with the shoulds that people see, they're trying to fit their personality into kind of the mainstream fitness health world mm-hmm. where that doesn't exist. Is that really what you see? So like a client's like, I don't like working out, but I, but at the same time to me, if they don't like working out, it's either because they're trying to something that they don't, they're doing something they don't like, or they just haven't really embraced what their body is capable of. Mm-hmm. Um, have you seen like really popular shoulds? Like what, why do you think the shoulds exist? I think shoulds kind of narrow down to two categories. The first category is not really having clarity with what is right for you mm-hmm. and the specificity for your own individual body and your own individual system. Yeah. And having that clarity is, you know, when you get a trainer or when you get a gut panel or when you really know what the path is for you at this time. Mm-hmm. Right. And for someone who works out a lot, that might be actually tone it, toning it down for a little bit and doing some body recovery mm-hmm. so that you don't break down and injure yourself. Yeah. Right. Because you're already high cortisol. Anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're already doing that. Um, exactly. The tangible, that's what's been so powerful for me. And it's a challenge because it's hard. You can definitely do online consults, but it is hard to, you know, the muscle testing piece and the one-on-one interaction piece, when you are able to find exactly what is good for somebody and what's not, even for gut healing supplements, like sometimes it's repair, right? Sometimes it's IPS and it, I will only know that by the way it tests. And so it's always a challenge, but I think that's great for people to know that if you can have the ability to do that with a practitioner, what other, like if they're not in Colorado to see you, where else can they find somebody that can do the work that you do? Well, you know, because I do the lab work and that allows me to get a huge piece of data Yeah, that I otherwise would have not been able to gain, uh, without lab work, there's no, I don't, I don't think I would be able to work with someone from afar because yeah. where's my data points? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like just looking at you through Skype. Yeah. It's really difficult. So with at least lab work, um, I can get about 80% of the way there. Perfect. And for most people that is usually about 75% more than they had. Mm-hmm. And so that's great. And mm-hmm. that gives you that clarity and it helps put away that should question because now you know what the deal is and what to do for that. Yeah. And it's just usually a little bit longer, you know, to figure out if the protocol is working, but not by more than about two weeks, you can get clear really quickly. And I think, I just think it's so awesome. Like, you know, some of you have heard the story, but like, I really didn't know what was going on in my body. I just always believed 
with the food I was eating, which was always perfect, like grain-free, dairy-free. Like I knew exactly what caused reactions in my body and I knew what didn't and I stuck with it. But my adrenals were so messed up and then I started getting digestive stress all the time. And so we talked about this in the 21 day challenge. Like there's so many, there's a, a limit, like your body, if it's in balance, won't react to all those foods. And so trying to figure out why is your body out of whack and supplements for me just kind of like changed my life. What for you, as far as supplements, do you feel like the stigma? I know chiropractor did you, as a chiropractor, did you use supplements? Um, some, yeah, I, I was tuned into the concept of adrenal fatigue, but I didn't realize how prevalent it was and how bad it was and how it affected almost every single patient that came to see me. Mm-hmm. And so as I did more and more, like take this adrenal supplement, I was like, oh yeah, is this really chiropractic or not? Yeah. <laughs> I started to get confused. <laughs> um, and then I realized that the biochemistry, you know, what's driving adrenal fatigue is not just, it's not going to be solved by a pill in the bottle. Mm-hmm. It can be very helpful to leverage healing. It could be very helpful to, um, help that progress. But when you have adrenal distress, it always is fueled by an underlying driver. Adrenals are just like the red flag saying that something is wrong and this is how it's not wrong. They're too wrong this way or too wrong that way, but it's still not telling you what the core driver of that is. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's just break that down. So adrenal dysfunction is when your cortisol rhythm is off. So it's not what it should be. Cortisol rises in the morning and then slowly drops throughout the day. I never have seen a cortisol panel that does that. So when they're coming to me or coming to you, I'm sure like it's just all over the place. Most likely extreme fatigue. What I see the most often is hip pain, sciatic pain, issues with just waking up and taking forever to wake up, craving salt. You usually have low cortisol, this hypocortisol. So we're having, and this is how you saw me. This is how you found me. I was in like depleted cortisol, low DHEA. So that being said, like, the the systems that you see the most common so we have blood sugar system number one that you have to address liver system number two and then the brain i would say system number three what do you see as the most common Hmm. i would say gut issues drive most of the adrenal presentations that i see but because i specialize in gut yeah so if you have an underlying pathogen driving inflammation and issues in the gut um, you're never going to solve your adrenal fatigue issues. Can we talk about pathogens? So I feel like, you know, let's, yeah, let's start with candida. How common is it for you to see candida? Super common. Yeah. Uh, when you've got candida that reveals itself in a gut panel, what that tells you is that at some point, if not now, you have abused carbohydrates for your system. Mm-hmm. You've overeaten them and therefore given a lot of great fuel for this candida and fungus to take root in your gut and to grow and proliferate. Yeah. With candida... I've heard this before, you know, some people say, okay, I have candida. So some symptoms, I guess, like craving sugar can be a huge one. Huge one. Uh, skin issues, scalp itchy issues, um, digestive issues, energy issues. Candida is, is such a pain in the butt because it has so many roots. It, it just goes everywhere. Yeah. And so the, the amount of symptoms you can get from it are everywhere. You can see a lot of candida questionnaires online that yeah. people will take. And I mean, like anyone can take a candida questionnaire and be convinced that they have candida. Um, I've had a lot of patients come to me convinced they had candida and had gone candida cleansed in the past and like, they're still not gone. So then we finally actually do a gut panel. And what I would say to someone is don't initiate a candida protocol without knowing you have candida for a few reasons. Number one, if you do it the right way, it's a tough protocol. It, 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 it kind of... Um, 
rattles up your gut a little bit. Yeah. It's not an easy process to go through. And there's a lot of gut healing that has to take place during the process and after the process too. And so you don't want to just take these very powerful agents without knowing that's what you need. Do people that do the candida, like thoughts on cutting carbohydrates completely or just for that, that person's tolerance. So like I've always heard, so candida is something I've struggled with. So like for me, it was, I can't remember who told me this, but they're like, it's kind of depressing. Like you're always going to have it. It's always going to be in you. And I wanted to know your thoughts on that where sometimes you can see the things manifest a little bit more. Mm-hmm. You go through stage, stages in your life. Do you feel like you're, I'm always going to have to avoid certain foods in order to make sure my candida stays at bay? Um, oh, that's a good question. I think the first uh, issue is to make sure you do have candida, yes or no. And I think the gold standard is a gut panel. You yeah. have to see that there. Um, to really fully resolve a candida infection, it takes about three to six months to do it. Mm-hmm. Which is the second reason why you really want to see it. Because who's going to have compliance if you're just guessing that you have candida? That's a long uh, time. And very few people are going to limit their carbohydrates and their sugars for half a year. That's six without months of knowing. no wine. Without, exactly. It's six <laughs> months with no wine. I can barely do three weeks. Yeah. So <laughs> most people don't have the compliance to do that if you don't know it. Mm-hmm. And so seeing it on paper really tells you that it's there. And it tells you how bad it's there too. So it kind yeah. of gives you uh, a hint as to how to handle your protocol. Um, and then with candida, you'll always have some candida in the body, like, like everything else. But the question is whether it proliferates us or not. Yeah. Right. And so when it comes to candida, first of all, you got to know if you have it. And if you do have it, which one it is, the different strains of candida. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Different strains of candida. And then how much is inside. So if you have more candida, I usually add what you call a biofilm buster. And that's a mechanical thing. So all pathogens have like a protective covering that they put on top Mm -hmm. of them to kind of hunker down and not get washed away, right? And so to effectively battle something like candida, especially a a raging infection, is you need to actually add a biofilm buster to mechanically remove this protective covering so you can actually target said candida. What is in a biofilm buster? Um, Usually a lot of enzymes to kind of dissolve everything. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's the first thing. Um, and then once you've got that whole protocol going and the candida's, you know, exiting, and then you've got to then support the liver. Mm-hmm. Right? That's huge. Nobody I mean, does that. Oh yeah. my gosh. That frustrates me so huge, much. Huge. Because you don't want to kill it and then just have it auto intoxicate or have your body not be able to handle it. You've got to kill it, then get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Get rid of it. So your, there's two stops at least. And right? your liver is already doing enough as is exactly. with or without wine. Exactly. <laughs> totally. So supporting that. And then when it comes to the, uh, the carbohydrate diet, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of diets online, candy diets online that are so restrictive. Mm-hmm. It's like, <laughs> you can't even like walk down the street with your mouth open. <laughs> like, <laughs> like no carbs. <laughs> you know? Don't breathe. <laughs> Don't breathe. It might be in the air. Um, and you know, as I've, as, I, as I've gone through practice, this is something that I have actually changed a little bit over the years is that, um, I don't put people on a super, super low carb diet because when that happens, sometimes pathogens will hide. Yeah. And they then it goes go away. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. They can go into a cyst form. They can go dormant. They can hide. And then when you stop the diet and when you stop the killing agents, then they kind of come back to and play again. Mm-hmm. And so um, I do limit people's carbs, but nothing as nothing severe, actually, because I want to kind of keep them fed, keep them kind of teased. And then <laughs> to stay them at the same time. Totally. Yeah. Ah, that's good to know. Um, and you, as far as supplements that you like, I know we don't have to go into too much depth because I do think people need to know what's right for them. Mm-hmm. But for the most part with candida, do you ever use colloidal silver? 
Uh, colloidal silver is kind of like an antibiotic. That's how I see it. Yeah. Um, I don't often use that, actually. Okay. Because I have other agents that are a little more targeted. Do you use oregano? I do sometimes. Mm-hmm. Oregano can be very, very harsh, though. And yeah. I would say that um, the only thing I really use for oregano these days are, is SIBO, uh-huh. which is a whole different topic. Yes, it is. Today. I know. <laughs> yes. Good thing this is longer than an eight-minute video. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I like podcasting, by the way, because mm-hmm. it's just like... I get a chance to nerd out with people that I will this conversation I would have over coffee with you. So nice. then we just hit record and we're good. <laughs> so, so not so much oregano, um, wormwood. Um, yes. Black walnut. Caprin is actually Caprin. the most powerful. Caprylic acid. Yep. Is one of the most powerful candida agents out there. Awesome. Mm-hmm. There's a really good one from Thorne Research, isn't there? There is. Yeah. There is. Um, Thorne actually carries one that's called SF722, I think. Okay. And it's, it's supposed to be stronger than Caprin. Probably oh, acid wow. right now. Very cool. And so I'm trying it oh, right now. Oh, I actually I'm excited that. about it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, as for SIBO, uh-huh. <laughs> let's just do it. Uh, <laughs> small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Uh-huh. It is so common. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. Do you use oregano more than wormwood? Yes, for that one. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was curious about that. So SIBO, why could somebody have SIBO? What is going on with it? Um, talk to me a little bit about SIBO. Okay. So we're going another rabbit hole. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so SIBO is is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So basically, it's a issue where the bacteria that should live in your colon have backwashed and gone the opposite direction, up past the IC valve, the ileocecal valve, up into the small intestines again, and so they are living in the wrong place of town, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and because the small intestines is still actively in the process of digestion and absorption, there's still food there. Right. In the colon, by the time your food your food has hit your colon, it's completely assimilated. So it's just like fibers and waters. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's appropriate for bacteria. But in the small intestines, there's still food for humans. And when the bacteria encounter that, they use that as fuel and just basically have an all-out drunken frat party is what happens in there. <laughs> <laughs> and so and so the most common symptoms with SIBO is you start to get this massive bloating whenever you eat. Mm-hmm. Eating just does not work for you. It doesn't matter what you eat, it's bad. Mm-hmm. And the, actually one of the most common signs for SIBO is eating vegetables equals bloating. Ah, uh, yeah. The fibers and the sugars and the vegetables it's cause Way issues. too much. Exactly. No matter how much digestive support. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Because you, you're a big believer in digestive support. Oh, absolutely. Which we can get into anyway. Mm-hmm. So with SIBO... That there's no good absorption of your nutrients. Exactly. There's just a lot, the drunken frat party. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a mess. It's a big, big mess. And um, SIBO is such a big issue because, you know, it's still a relatively new diagnosis. Yeah. 10 years ago, if you had SIBO, you were just miserable and you had Crohn's disease. They would, they'd label it as something like IBS or Crohn's. Oh, that's what I have. Yeah. That's, I mean, they first, I think I was like four or five when I first had gut issues. I think it came from my concussion mm-hmm. that I had. Um, we'll talk about that too. Oh, yes. Yeah. Good. <laughs> and, and then it got into um, maybe you just have ulcers and your stomach hurts all the time. So, yeah, that was true. It's just a blanket statement of mm-hmm. uh, IBS. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, everyone comes to me and like, Will this challenge that you do help my IBS? I'm like, yes. But sometimes we got to get a little deeper into it. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so your first step of seaweed, you, same protocol, like you, as far as candida, like one, make sure you have it. Can you test sure SIBO on a uh, gut panel? No, you can't. A SIBO is not a stool panel, it is actually a breath panel. Hmm. And so how you do that is you take a baseline breath, so they collect your breath, and then you drink a sugar solution. 
And then you're basically giving said SIBO a bunch of party fuel. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. And then you see what happens. Uh So you're basically delivering a bunch of six packs to the frat house and seeing if, (laughs) like, if they're they're all, you know, everything gets turned off and there's like a big party, then you know that there are probably frat kids in there, right? Got it. And so you're dumping in sugar and you're seeing what happens. So if the bacteria are in the small intestines, they will gobble up all the sugar and start releasing gases. The most two common gases are the hydrogen gas and methane gas. Mm. And so you can start to expel that in your breath, and that's what you catch. So you start to breathe in a tube and catch your breath over three hours to see if you get an increase in these gases. Because without bacteria, there's going to be no increase because no one is going to gobble that up and produce that result. Yeah. And with bacteria, you're going to get a spike in those gases. I have never done the SIBO test. Yeah. I would like, I don't, I don't have SIBO, or at least, you know, I don't bloat, but like, that would be fun to take and see. Uh-huh. That's yeah. really fascinating. Mm-hmm. So you, when you find out, okay, yes, you have SIBO, how much do you feel like, because I've heard that it can a lot of times start up here in your brain. Yes. SIBO is the most difficult thing that I deal with in my clinic, I think. Um, because SIBO always has, it has root causes that have to be resolved that are difficult. Mm-hmm. So people with SIBO oftentimes have gut issues to begin with. So a candida infection that led to the SIBO. Mm. SIBO is not only a backwash, but really the underlying mechanism of SIBO is a slowdown in speed, in digestive speed, right? You get that slowdown from like a pathogen, uh-huh. right? So obviously having candida will cause um, issues within the gut terrain, which leads to the slowdown. And then therefore now you have this backwash that can happen because you're not, you're not moving the river fast enough at the right pace. Mm-hmm. So you're getting swampy. Right. Yeah. Um, you can have digestive distress, so not good breakdown of nutrients, which can also then slow everything down, like not enough HCL, which slows the whole gut down. And that could lead up to SIBO, yeah. like in that swampy, very slow digestive process as well. Totally. Um, like you said, head trauma is a, also a great way to get SIBO because when you start to um, mess with the neurology up top, then you don't get the directive downstairs as to how fast to go. Yeah. So you get head trauma, which can lead to leaky gut right away and lead to an imbalance of your good bacteria right away within a few hours, Mm -hmm. right? And then that head trauma lingers or it really causes disruption. Now you can also get that slowdown. So SIBO is really an issue of speed. Mm. The question of where that speed problem came from is really the up-level work that has to be done in conjunction with actually killing the SIBO, which is a very difficult process to do. And so you, what do you think the, what do you see being, is there a most common thing or is it so bio-individual? Like when you have some SIBO, is it usually coming, like what's kind of that root cause? Yeah. Um, so the root cause, brain, um, other gut issues. So I always do a gut panel first mm-hmm. because there's usually a pathogen involved yeah. in addition with the SIBO. Got it. Um, so those things have to be handled in a very global, holistic and functional manner. Yeah. But then the prerogative is to kill the SIBO. And that's actually very, very, very difficult to do. Um, it is the bane of both allopathic and functional medicine right now. Yeah, And so um, I've, I've gone both ways where um, I've recommended someone to go through a very intense herbal protocol. It tears your gut up. Ugh. It really does. It's a rough protocol. And that's where I use a lot of oregano oil. Yeah. Um, and wormwood as well. Uh, but really, through the last year, I've started to see good success with actually telling someone to go and get a specific antibiotic. Ah. And, you know, for anyone who does functional medicine, it's a big deal for us to say, just go get an antibiotic for yeah. this thing because it's so insidious. Mm. Man, I didn't ever expect that. 
What is it a what specific antibiotic? So it's called rifaximin. Okay. Um, a lot of people will go to their GI doctor with a SIBO test they got from my office. And um, sometimes, because it's so ex- it's very expensive, mm. if it's not covered by insurance, it's like $1,200 oh for a God. round, for oh two weeks, my God. which is really, really ridiculous. So if a lot of people, try, they'll get some generic antibiotic, which I'll say, no, don't take that. Because rifaximin, um, actually, they say that it doesn't really cause too much disturbances outside of killing the SIBO itself. And then if you support the liver, then you should Support the liver, good. support the gut. So it, really, the collateral damage is quite minimal. Got it. Compared to how well it works. Got it. And is that kind of your second, like, you've tried a couple herbal remedies and protocols and it's just not happening? Yeah. So um, it goes back and forth. You know, actually, Dr. Seidbecker, who is the leading expert on SIBO, recently at the NTA conference gave a talk. And, you know, she knows more than anyone on this planet does about SIBO right now. Mm-hmm. And um, she's the one that really started to uh, talk about rifaximin as the best approach for that. And she's right on that. And what she is saying now is that for some people, it can take up to six rounds of rifaximin oh my gosh. to get the SIBO. That's wow. how rough SIBO is. Oh my God. Yeah. That's crazy. How common is SIBO? I'm seeing it everywhere right now. You I don't are. know if it's me. Yeah. <laughs> this is my issue. <laughs> I'm getting, attracting all these patients with SIBO. Um, so I'm seeing a lot of it. Yeah. It is. It is. Uh, and when we see it, patients are miserable. SIBO is no, no joke. It is not a fun thing to, to handle. Yeah. Um, and oftentimes people really have to muscle through it. It sucks. Totally. Do you, in healing reactions, um, so say somebody starts a protocol with SIBO or with candida especially, does it get, do symptoms get worse before they get better? Or is that a sign of this not being the right protocol? Um, I think oftentimes things do rewind. There's a rewinding of symptoms. Um, you know, healing, we all would like, we humans like healing to go from like a, like a ski slope, just like up and quick and fast. Mm -hmm. And, um, like a, we want to do some, like one new thing. And have our symptoms resolve entirely. That's just how we are. And if it doesn't work, then we start to second guess ourselves and we tend to give up. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why I think it's really important to help to work with a practitioner who can actually help you with, is this a good thing or a bad thing? So when things don't go well, it could be the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Certainly. We could be going too fast, which we don't want to happen. So we could be doing a, a big healing reaction and the liver's not well supported. Right. Yeah. Um, or the gut's not well supported or something needs to happen in conjunction with that. Someone needs to help train you in terms of how else do I help my body through this process. For sure. Right? Or it could be oftentimes a rewinding. And that's a little bit of the finesse of working with someone who has seen it a lot and can help you with it and help trial and error. Very cool. Do you, and for your liver support, just because we keep talking about it, um, do you use uh, glutathione support? Is that your main liver support that you use? I do use glutathione. Um, I would say that my liver support falls into two categories. So category number one is what I call uh, phase three liver clearance, right? Which is about clearing out that common bile duct, making sure the liver is flowing at the right speed, the right viscosity of that bile. So that's usually, um, although it's kind of the third phase of the liver, it's the first one to go because you want to kind of clear that pathway first before you start really pumping the liver. So it's not just like pumping and stuck. Yeah. And then, um, so phase one, phase two is a little more the glutathione. Got it. And so... um, I would say usually I do more like a beta TCP kind of thing or a bioelement from Apex Energetics, beet kinds of supplements or phosphatidylcholine as well. Got it. Some more gallbladder. To, to yeah. do the gallbladder first. And if there's still a hang up, then I'll go into liver. Cool. Yeah. That's great. And I, have you ever seen this with your clients? I've seen this before where um, you give gallbladder support 
or some phase three support and then it works and it's great and then all of a sudden the phase one and two are like wow yes yeah and that's that's the that's a trajectory for that cool Mm -hmm. okay Mm -hmm. cool that made sense i had that happen with a client i was like um i don't know it was really interesting i was like because there's no test for i don't even know if i should talk about that but basically it was like totally fine without glutathione and then within two weeks it was like desperate need for glutathione (laughs) (laughs) so that okay that's interesting um okay I really want to talk about the thyroid because I'm just like, Mm -hmm. it's a huge world. And the more I get in it, the more I'm like, I don't know enough and I'm never going to know enough. And I feel like I, you know, I'm getting my foot in the right direction, but I just see it so often. Um, and we talked about this in the 21 day challenge video. And I just feel like I really want to dig into kind of, we have hypo and then we have hyper hyper, not nearly as common as hypo, but does exist. Um, so hypo, hypothyroid, we talked about, let's just kind of pretend like they haven't seen the video, I guess. So if, how common do you see hypothyroid? Everyone has hypothyroid (laughs) (laughs) these days. It's a, it's a very common thing to have because they're starting to test TSH, that one thyroid marker very commonly in like a normal blood panel. Mm -hmm. And so they'll, they'll just do a sweep and they'll see that it's not normal and, oh, you've got hypothyroid. And here's a medication, and then there we go. And TSH being high is a sign, kind of lab high is a sign of hypothyroid. Yeah, so basically TSH is a signal from the brain to the thyroid, telling it how fast to go and what to do. And so when TSH goes high, it's the brain saying, work harder, work faster, come on, pick it up, and make more thyroid hormone. Totally. Right, so that's the correlation. High TSH equals hypothyroid. Cool. And so then when you have somebody that's on a thyroid medication, which so many people are, and it's more and more common, um, their symptoms may get, they may, they may see a little bit of results initially and then everything comes back. And so they're back in this paradigm. We talked about the symptoms, signs and symptoms, but constipation, cold hands, cold hands, cold feet, brain fog, uh, what other symptoms Wait. do you see? Wait, Wait. yes, of course, yes. <laughs> Wait, yes, which is why, you know, they're work, They're doing three or four, they've done my challenges, they've done it all, they've, like you said, they're in the gym, sweating it out, putting in the effort and not seeing the results. Yeah. So for that, what is, what's that root cause? Like, how do we help, what, I mean, with you, what you see, talk about like the most common cause of hypothyroid. Mm-hmm. The most common cause of hypothyroid is actually an autoimmune disease called Hashimoto's. And it's basically the body's immune system, instead of doing its proper job of protecting you, turns its attention on your own tissue and starts to friendly fire on your thyroid gland. Why don't they test this in the blood work? Why don't they test antibodies? I think because the attention of allopathic medicine is really on giving you thyroid hormones if it's not right. Yeah. Even patients who have brought in a more extensive blood work and they know they have Hashimoto's, I have yet to see uh, their endocrinologist or their general practitioner address the Hashimoto's, even if they knew it was there. That's and crazy. So I don't think they test it because they don't really, and with an allopathic medicine, that's not really their job to handle it. Yeah, that's very true. And with TSH, so Hashimoto's, some signs is like your TSH is all over the place. So some, sometimes it's lower, sometimes it's higher, mm-hmm. no matter what, it's not consistent. Um, I like this one. I was at the mastering the thyroid seminar talking about going back and forth from symptoms, sometimes super anxious, then sometimes really slow, really wound up 
and really slow. So kind of hyper hypo combo. That's a big warning sign of this potentially is Hashimoto's. And then you check for the antibodies. So if antibodies are high and it's the globulin antibodies, thyroid stimulating globulin antibodies, do you test, should I test this? Um, Cause I'm going to do my blood work with you. Right. What's you said there's 10 markers in that test um, that we're doing. Uh-huh. And two of them are antibody. Two. Of, what's the other antibody? Theraproxidase. Prostate. That's what it is. Got it. And so when those antibodies are, are flagged, that just means that you've got this autoimmune issue going on. And what that tells you is it's not a thyroid condition. It's actually an immune issue, right? And within functional medicine, now you have so much to do to help quench that fire. Yeah. Basically, as soon as you've got an autoimmunity, it, it never goes away, right? It, so once your immune system has decided that someone's the enemy, it kind of maintains its position for life. Yeah. And the best you can do is to try to make peace and to quench that friendly fire so that your body can actually operate ideally. Yeah. yeah. And so those would be things like big anti-inflammatories like turmeric and resveratrol. Right? Yeah. Metric do you like resveratrol? I do. I Do you use the one from Apex? I do. I yeah. do too. Both of them. I really like it. Nitric oxide. Um, yes. The nitric balance supplement. Though That trio is great for autoimmunity. It's so good very, too. Very, powerful. God, I like chug it like i like get excited about drinking it in the morning i Which didn't one? know that, all measure. of them well oh. the liquid turmeric i didn't know it, i knew it was more effective but six times more effective is that's significant yes and then resveratrol i just like i started it actually in the brain chemistry course because mm-hmm. they had it for samples uh-huh. and i was like going back in the back just like taking shots of it. I was like, this might be too much, but it was like my body craved it. I actually did that one time and then got the runs. Oh, <laughs> the next day. And I couldn't figure it out. Like, Why did I have this? <laughs> to shrink myself. And I was like, oh my goodness, what did I do yesterday? I didn't eat anything bad. That's awesome. And oh yeah, I had actually OD'd on respiratory. <laughs> and just a really powerful antioxidant yeah. for the body and for the brain. Yeah. For sure. And then the nitric balance I like because, you know, with the concussions and circulation oh, issues, I just feel like it's, you know, my biggest symptom, I'm like my hands and my feet are just ice cold uh-huh. and I do feel like it's greatly improved. And uh-huh. so I really like that, especially pre-work. You got me taking it pre-workout. Yeah. And I like that a lot. So who said it? Cold hands, cold feet, cold brain, cold gut? Yes. Yeah. Yes. A hundred percent. And I already know that my brain has some issues. I don't have time for it to be cold. <laughs> I need this thing to work. Warm up. <laughs> Warm up. So we, if we have, um, so say the antibodies are high, they, you know, they continue their medication. One of the things with Hashimoto's, you have to avoid gluten yes. and not just gluten, but anything that resembles gluten. And that's why it's interesting. It's so bio-individual because some people can do gluten-free oats, but many people can't. So it's like figuring out which which foods are cross-reactive in your body. Mm-hmm. Do you do um, Cyrex testing at all? I used to. And I used to. Um, not currently. Okay. And um, you're using? I use MRT for food sensitivities. Okay. It's not the same kind of testing. Um, MRT is looking for mediator inflammation, whereas Cyrex is looking for IgG and IgAs. So that's actually immune system rev. Mm-hmm. That's why you have to actually try all those foods before you test it. Because you're just basically trying to piss off the immune system and then testing the pissed off nature of it. Yeah. Like how, how angry it gets. Yeah. And so it's true. If you do have Hashimoto's, my language goes to, um, you know, not just be gluten-free, but you have to be gluten-free all the time. Like, you know, don't take a break for your birthday and don't just have a little piece of something because the room for error now is very minimal. Isn't it crazy that I someone said about the they would do ultrasounds on the thyroid and as your 
thyroid is attacking or your body is attacking thyroid tissue, you can see the thyroid start to disappear. Mm -hmm. So when it's, it's tough, it's like, I, I get that the cheat meals thing or the treat meals things are great. But if you have something like hypothyroid and Hashimoto's, this is like, it goes so much more than just satisfying Mm -hmm. that. It's like understanding Mm -hmm. what it's doing to your body will help you in those situations when you should say no, or you should say, I can't not because I can't, but because I really don't want Yeah. And having that clarity is power. Mm -hmm. Then you don't have to sit there and shit all over yourself because you know exactly what it does and why it's a very firm decision for you. Totally. That's it. And it becomes very simple. It streamlines it. Do you, everyone that's reacted with gluten also, someone said this, I didn't know how close the molecular structure of dairy was to gluten. Do you feel like you see a lot of dairy intolerances? I do, you know, both gluten and and dairy. In addition to being cross react, you know, a cross reactive um, dairy to the gluten, um, they both also manifest as you know morphine like substances too to the brain, right? Mm-hmm. So the gluteomorphines and the, and the caseomorphines as well. And so depending on your individual makeup in terms of how you react to your food and how you react to um, things like morphine like structures, I didn't you can know just this. become completely addicted. To similar to sugar, like way, yeah. Yeah. They've done a lot of studies in Europe showing that um, you know children who have learning disabilities or learning disorders, or who have attention deficit, um, their their addiction to things like mac and cheese, for instance, so gluten dairy, yeah, or pizza gluten dairy, right? It's always that combo right there. There's a reason why it's a comfort food is because your body can transform these proteins into opiate like structures wow. that then go and have an opiate like effect which makes you feel great yeah nothing matters <laughs> i guess i never thought about the molecular addiction early the molecular structure causing the addiction because i just i understand the piece of emotional so like you know everything in my life was falling apart when i was six and this food got me through that and like that piece i can see but it's that's awesome about those studies i didn't even know that those are going on i'm gonna have to look at those yeah Very cool. So, okay, so they have Hashimoto's supporting the system. So inflammation, Mm -hmm. resveratrol, turmeric, um, nitric balance, which is such a great uh, INOS, ENOS, Mm -hmm. not NOS, because that's the bad one for our brain, for Uh circulation. Then we get into, you know, and this also gets into conversion, right? Mm -hmm. So liver and gut. Mm -hmm. When somebody has thyroid issues, there's more going on to the story. So if they have an autoimmune issue against the thyroid, we got to start with the gut. Mm -hmm. So healing the gut, which we already kind of talked about with, this is what I think is fascinating is that with the gut, you are already, if you're eating things and not absorbing things and you're having reactions to them, your cytokine uptake is already causing more inflammation. Mm-hmm. So then you're just amplifying the inflammation that you already have. It is. And the cytokines are then, again, opening up that blood-brain barrier even more, too. So Let's talk about that. more neurological issues, too. Yeah. yeah. Blood-brain barrier, you know, in case if they're still listening, <laughs> um, because it's, <laughs> I know we're nerdy, but... Uh, tell, if you're still here, you're, you're still here. You are. But blood-brain barrier... Tell, give them like a really, cause I think this isn't common knowledge yet. And I want to talk about that. Explain blood. You do a great job explaining stuff. So do talk about blood brain barrier. Sure. The blood brain barrier is a very important uh, barrier between your brain, which runs everything and everyone else. Yeah. Right. So it's almost like the castle where the king lives. Um, so he can rule his country. Right. Yeah. And once that's breached, then you get kind of an issue with, um, I guess, how things are run in that country. Uh And so the blood-brain barrier is similar material to the gut barrier, right, to the lining of the gut. And when you have gut issues, 
that often equates to having brain issues as well. It's yeah. the same thing. And so when you start getting um, a lot of gut inflammation, whether it's from something like SIBO or candida or digestive issues or food sensitivities, like whatever the problem is, that's going to in turn then affect the brain as well. Mm-hmm. And so with that, um, when the brain barrier starts to open, can also be from things like cytokines as well, then you start to get issues with how the brain can affect everything else, right? So you can start to get neurological things. Um, and one of the best ways to kind of test this is what we call kind of the, the GABA challenge. Oh, you're the one who told me about this. Yeah. I was going to bring this up. Yeah, the GABA yes. challenge. Yes. And so basically GABA is um, really important and manufactured in the body and the brain to help us feel like we've got a handle on things. Yeah. Right. So, so it's the opposite spectrum from being anxious. So it's being um, able to bring it down and able to ground yourself and able to, you've got this and able to kind of multitask and put it off until tomorrow and, and, and kind of delineate and people who don't have enough GABA can start to run anxiety. They can start to run frustration. They can like wake up in the middle of the night and just like a brain goes, 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 goes. They can't shut it off. Yeah. And so when GABA started to kind of come on the market as a health supplement, doctors were, kind of trashing it and saying that it was placebo because GABA is a big molecule and it cannot get through the blood-brain barrier, right? And so it's almost like having peas in a colander. The peas are not going to just fall through the colander and they get caught. You can't go through. So the same concept. They're just going to take it orally, systemically, and it's not going to hit your brain. And so when people are feeling better and more relaxed and sleeping better, doctors are like, that's fine. Just keep doing it. Whatever works. crazy, right? Uh It's, it's, It's not. It doesn't work. And now what we know is because of this issue of the blood-brain barrier being able to open and become disintegrous, you can get more bigger things floating through and affecting the brain, like GABA. Yeah. And so the GABA challenge is really easy. You just take, you know, like a thousand milligrams of GABA. You can just buy it over the counter at the store. Um, you take it around dinner time. And if you feel more relaxed and just calm and everything's okay, you sleep a little better that night then that means that GABA got through and had an effect on your brain, which while it feels good, means that that membrane was not very integrous. And that's not good. You don't want to pass it. (laughs) You don't want to pass it. I remember when we originally did this years ago, I was so calm. Yeah. I was at school through the NTA program. Uh It was me and Matt. And he like, was it, he was like, I'm addicted to this. I feel so good. I've never felt this good. I'm like, that's not good. We've got to figure out why you feel this good. Yeah. There's a reason. It's so relaxing. Yeah. But also you can get an excitatory response, right? So a negative negates a negative. So if you have any reaction, I haven't seen that happen, but apparently that can. Like if, if they get excited, uh, then we know that we have a blood brain barrier that we need to impair. Uh-huh. And that starts by healing the gut. Yeah, totally. Cool. Yeah. I love that. So with, um, so we adjust Hashimoto's so conversion. So let's go into conversion okay. with, you know, we have a ton of T4, uh-huh. our body loves making it, uh-huh. but it doesn't convert to T3. Right. So I thought this was great to know is like, you know, back in the sixties and seventies with thyroid issues, they would just give a bunch of iodine, check basal temperature, just see, okay, let's, we're definitely making improvements kind of like that old school way, which is functional. And I think it was great, but it's most issues aren't coming from iodine deficiency worldwide. Yes. But in the United States, no. So how talk about that conversion, where does conversion from T4 to T3 take place? So the story goes, your brain talks to the thyroid that's TSH and the thyroid responds by making T4 and T3 and most of it's T4, which is the inactive form. Mm -hmm. All right. And then there's T3. That is the active form. 
and we have to convert it into the active form so that we can go and then direct the body as to how fast things go. So T3 directs your gut and how fast to go. There's a very interesting correlation as an aside with hypothyroidism and people who had a gallbladder removal. I have oh. seen that so much. Whoa. Someone comes with hypothyroid. You've had it. How long have you had it for? 10 years, 15 years. Do you have a gallbladder? No. What is that about? That's, that's basically, um, T3 tells the digestion how fast to go. Yeah. Including the gallbladder. Right. And, 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 and when you're talking about that phase three liver detoxification, that, that gallbladder exiting into the duodenum, um, when that slows down, you get congestion and when you get congestion you can get stones and when you get stones you can get that removal yeah and as it's just something i've seen clinically wow over the years hypothyroidism no gallbladder wow in women very interesting very interesting yeah huh. and so the t3 goes and tells everyone how fast to go every single cell in the body responds to t3 has t3 receptors so it's very very important mm-hmm. and so whether it's an autoimmune issue making the thyroid not work very well right? And therefore not producing enough T4 and or T3. Or maybe that's being okay. Maybe you don't have an autoimmune issue going on. Maybe you're getting T4 medication, like levothyroxine or Synthroid, right? Mm -hmm. You still have to convert it to T3. And most people don't know how they're doing with that because they haven't had that full thyroid panel and they don't know what the story is. Which is the T3 uptake. Yes. Which is huge. Very, very huge. And so when people... um, start to have issues, you really want to find out where the crux is. And then that conversion happens in the gut and the liver, mm-hmm. right? And so really for thyroid health, you really have to look at the whole person. How are you eating? Are your dietary choices triggering autoimmunity? How is your immune system doing? Mm-hmm. How's the gut doing? How is everyone playing together in order to yield you this good thyroid health, which you can't diet out of, you can't exercise out of, you can't shit away out of. It'll just be there as a chronic issue until you come online. Yeah. The whole system. Yeah. So with, again, coming back to gut and liver, making sure that it's doing its job and there's a lot of times it's not. So even though we can't necessarily say like, you know, we're not in control of the medication that someone might be on and that's their doctor and that's Mm -hmm. something that they have to talk through with their doctor. Mm -hmm. If you support the systems, you can get so, you can get so far. Yeah, you can. And it's, I think a lot of thyroid clients that I see or people that I talk to, they just feel so hopeless. It's like they've tried it all and medications changing and no matter what they won't do it and i just feel like if you figure out it's so true like support the gut support the liver support the brain mm-hmm. there's so much you can do with that we don't i don't really feel like hype so can we talk about graves and hyper yeah hyperthyroid a little so bit graves is also autoimmune but instead of going down it goes up yeah and so you start to get everything goes too fast so the symptoms for that could be your heart starts to race in the night. You can sweat. Your body temperature turns up. You lose a lot of weight. Yeah. Because everything just gets turned on. It just gets revved. Um, your eyes can feel like they're bugging out of your head. So you literally feel like you're crazy. Yeah. For a little bit. Um, and so, you know, thyroid is so important in that because it regulates the speed of everything. And there's a very narrow range, like the Goldilocks range as to what's right for you. Yeah. And so grave disease also autoimmune also needs to be addressed like an immune issue as well. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times what happens for Graves is because the thyroid has gone into this overproduction mode that's way too much hormones, um, patients will get their thyroid radiated, right? So they'll 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 kill part of it because it's it's working too hard. Let's just hit it really hard. Yeah, yeah. So they get it radiated um, and then it pushes them into hypothyroid. Mm. 
So then, then now they're in the same boat as everyone else Got it. with needing that T4 forever and then the weight gain and then this is the whole trail from there. And I, I think what's also really frustrating and annoying because if thyroid people that are struggling with the thyroid don't have enough issues, they can create an autoimmune, autoimmunity against their medication. Oh, yeah. Do you see that happen a lot? You can create an autoimmunity against any tissue in the body. Yeah. Um, that's just kind of how it goes. And, you know, I've, I've heard some really smart doctors out there you know, say it's not so much if you're going to get autoimmunity as a woman living in America, it's when and which one. Uh, and that was kind of scary for me to hear. Yeah, that's powerful. Because, you know, autoimmunity is a first world country problem. They have other issues in other countries that are third world countries. But autoimmunity is a first world country problem. It's not in our air. Well, it could be, I guess, in pollution. Yeah. Um, but it's how we eat. It's how we drink. It's how we live. It's a stress that we put on ourselves. It's the kinds of things that we obsess about that are kind of new human experiences that mm -hmm. are not normal. Yeah. Huh. So what's like, God, that's a heavy question. I don't even know where to go with that because it's like with autoimmunity, how do you, you know, if you're feeling sick and tired and there's like a multiple things that it could be, you know, there's so many places you could start. There are. Yeah, <laughs> there are. You know, speaking about Cyrex test panels, there's that Cyrex autoimmunity panel. Oh, I didn't right? know about this. What's this about? Oh, yeah. It, it'll test for a bunch of autoimmunity issues. It'll test it not so much as in terms of a diagnostic, like you have this, but it's coming for you. Mm. And and from what I hear, it'll test up to 10 years before it hits you kind of thing. Oh, wow. Yeah. I've never done it. Number one, it's it's quite pricey. And, um, it's a very expensive test. And number two, I'm not really sure how to language it to someone yet in terms of like, you don't have this yet, but it's coming to whack you. And it, I feel like I would be really paranoid. It's almost like a prediction as to how I'm going to die. <laughs> yeah. You don't really, you know, yeah, that's a good point. Do you, have you done the 23andMe testing? I have. What yeah. Do you think I have done genetic testing. It's pretty cool because a genetic test is a one-time test because it's never going to change. Mm -hmm. There's no way to like diet or anything your way out of it. That's mm -hmm. the way it is. Um, Genetic testing is a rabbit hole that I know nothing about. And I once ventured down the rabbit hole for about two weeks and <laughs> retraced my steps really quickly and popped back out and closed that hole. <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to know how I'm going to die. Um, but um, what did you find that was valuable at 23 and Me? Uh, well, the first thing I found out is the, the platform that you see as a client, you know, when they give your test results back. It's kind of flowery and fun. Like, this is how much of this you are and where you came from. And there's like, you know, some genetic variants that are kind of just interesting that you already kind of knew about yourself. Yeah. Um, and then there's this whole back part that you've got to search for. That is basically like, like pages of data. And then you take that data and then you plug it into other websites like Yemi Yasko's um, site where she'll actually go through everything and basically look at it and collaborate it together into something that's a little more understandable. But okay. it is it is a very, very deep rabbit hole. Um, yeah. in terms of what is discovered. Um, to be honest, I got so overwhelmed with it that I just backpedaled. Yeah. And all I got away from it was to take methylated bees. <laughs> That's all I could tell you about my shit. We should all do, right? <laughs> Why and just so they know, methylated out of, outside of just B vitamins, standard B vitamins. Yeah, so some people have a genetic issue with methylation, which is one way of basically processing in the liver. Mm -hmm. And um, if you have a genetic issue with it, you just don't process normal bees very well. Oh, over like 50% of us, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So methylated bees are just a certain um, form of B that's better for you if you have that genetic issue Yeah, from now on. And it could make a huge difference in your energy. That's so awesome because we all need some B vitamins. I think the good take-home message from genetics is this. Genetics, 
back when we did the Human Genome Project and we thought that we could solve humanity's diseases by figuring out how we were made, basically. Uh -huh. um, first of all, it got completed very quickly. We thought that we'd be very complicated. It turns out we're just about the same as monkeys. Yeah. <laughs> like, really. And so that was a little disappointing for the human ego. Um, but for genetics, it's what you're born with. But it still, it still doesn't mean that's what's going to happen to you, mm -hmm. right? You hear, you hear things about people who, like celebrities who, you know, whose mother and sister and whatever had breast cancer and they don't have breast cancer yet, but to prevent it because they have the breast cancer gene, they just like do a double mastectomy, right? Angelina Jolie? Yeah. <laughs> her choice, her prevention, uh -huh. right? But, and, and, but the take home message is that your genetics is still only 25% of what happens to you. Yeah. It's like being dealt a subpar card of hands, like hand of cards. It doesn't mean that you're going to lose the game. How you play your cards is ultimately a bigger deciding factor than what you were handed. And there's so many ways to support the system mm -hmm. to not get you down that way. And that is everything that you talk about. Yeah. And you. Mm -hmm. I have some questions for you okay. to finish this off. All right. What is your favorite organ? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Interesting. Oh. Um, I would say I've had a long running love affair with adrenals. I just, yeah, I've been thinking about them for a long time. Yeah. That's <laughs> awesome. They do a lot for us. Yeah. I like the adrenals. Okay, good. Um, and what is your spirit animal? Uh, a white tailed fennec fox. Oh my God. Yeah. I love your answer. <laughs> I, guys, I didn't even like preface this. She had no idea I was going to ask her that. <laughs> that is so impressive. Why? Can you tell me the story of that? Um, well, I, I just, I, I think foxes are cute and quirky and kind of independent and they're always kind of stepping along doing their own thing and they look at you and they look at them and they're just going to keep going. You're totally a fox. Yeah. That's, so that's kind of how I do it. That's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Um, where can people find you? Give me some information. Tell them all about yourself. So, uh, they can find me online at precisionempoweredhealth.com. Um, you can call my office at 720-375-0128. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Nine News sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Rachel is my Nine News partner. What days are you on? I'm on Mondays, and it's all over the place when they have me there. Yeah. They, they usually try to have me there more often than I am. I'm just like, too busy. Sorry. <laughs> She's too busy changing people's thyroids. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this. Of this course. is so good, as always. Mm -hmm. If you guys want more, um, all of it's linked below. And again, it, it's never too late to sign up for my 21-day challenge. So even though I'm in the middle of it, it's 21 bucks, and you're going to get two videos um, with Dr. Rachel, which you're going to want to see. So thank you guys for joining us, and we'll see you next week.